At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World, where we'll learn to reject culture's endless stream of quick fixes for God's time-tested truth. Together, we'll rediscover age-old practices that draw us to Him, where true satisfaction awaits. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jeff Keith, and I am the campus pastor at our Warren campus, and I'm so uh, appreciative of the opportunity to come and share with you uh, this morning. I know Pastor Jacob's over in Warren um, preaching as well, and I'm excited to be able to share my pulpit with him and feel honored that I get a chance to uh, share his pulpit this morning. And uh, I love it that my family is able to join me this morning, so they're down here in front, and uh, yes, give it up for them. Yeah, it's good, to, it's good to have them here. They're always supporting. My kids are like, Dad, you tell the same stories over and over and over again. And I'm like, well, you know, if the stories ever change or the truth ever changes, then I'm in the wrong business. But I'm thankful for the opportunity to come and uh, dive into God's Word together with you this morning. So if you have a Bible or electronic device, I encourage you to take it out and turn with me to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm chapter 32. We're going to begin looking in verse 1 this morning. And as you turn there, uh, I wanted to uh, just... Have you think about a couple things? You know, there's sometimes in life we witness things that are overwhelming to us, that we think to ourselves, we see people doing things, and we're like, there's no way that I could ever do that. It's, it's impossible for me to do that. And I'll never forget the day that I was watching. It was an October afternoon, and I was watching ABC Sports. And I see this, this show come on, and it's um, talking about the Ironman World Championships. Now, if you don't know what Ironman is, uh, Ironman is a triathlon. Um, and it's a massive triathlon. It's a, a test of endurance where athletes begin by swimming 2.4 miles, and then they jump on a bike and bike 112 miles, and then after that, they run 26.2 miles, so they're running a marathon. And in total, all in one day, they, they uh, go the distance of 140.2 mile, miles. I remember sitting there on my couch watching this, and I'm like, man, that's amazing. Like, you can't just wake up in the morning and say, hey, I'm going to go do an Ironman today. Right? You, can't, you can't just do that. Your body is not made for that. But then I started to think about all the training that these athletes have had, had to go into doing, all the things that they've had to learn and all the things that they've had to, to train their bodies to do. Well, in 2015, I was 39 years old, and uh, it was the fall of uh, 2015, and I was beginning to just contemplate, like, what is the next season of my life going to be? What are some things that I wish or hope to accomplish uh, as I turn 40 and as I, as I ed this, enter into this other side of the hill or something like that, whatever people refer to it as? And I thought to myself on that day, you know what? I want to do an Ironman. I'm going to do an Ironman. I'd been a runner my whole life. I'd, at that point, I'd run several half marathons and several marathons. And so I'm like, I'm going to do this. And over the next year, my life was completely transformed. Uh, I learned how to swim. I didn't know how to swim prior to beginning to train for the Ironman. I could, I could swim from one side of the pool to the other, and then I'd have to wait like 45 seconds to catch my breath and, and all of that. So over the next year, I had to train over and over and over again, learning new habits and learning new, new just procedures as I'm learning how to train. And in the fall of 2016, I competed in my first Ironman, and I'll never forget as I crossed the line I was in Maryland at the time. I crossed the line, and the announcer on the loudspeaker says, Jeff Keith, you are an Ironman. 
And I thought to myself, man, I did it. But upon reflecting upon all of it, I've realized that what started out consuming a small amount of my time, I would train in the beginning maybe an hour, two hours a week. By the end of it, I was training up to 30 hours a week. And I had totally given myself over to this because I wanted to accomplish this amazing task. Well, I share all of that with you to say that whenever we want to do anything in our lives, it means that we should devote ourselves over to it. And in order to devote ourselves over to something, uh, we have to create and develop different habits to that which we want to become. And you know, in the Christian life, we are reminded that God's call on our life is towards godliness. That God doesn't just save us so that we can receive salvation and then just live our life until he comes and takes us home. No, God wants us to receive salvation, but then God wants us to grow so that over the course of time we become more and more like him so that we grow in godliness. But here's the thing, is that nobody ever drifts into godliness. Right? We never just happen, if we're not doing anything, you're not going to drift towards becoming more like Jesus. Instead, what's going to happen, if, you, if left alone, you're going to drift towards worldliness. And your, your life and everything will look more like the world than it will look like Jesus. And so today, as we begin this small series, we've entitled this series, Habits. These habits that we want to take on in our lives that will help us grow in godliness and begin to produce godliness in us. So over the next three weeks, we're going to look at just three habits. There are several th habits out there uh, that will help us grow in godliness, uh, but we're going to take three uh, during this sermon series. And today, I get a chance to talk with you about one of the most overlooked habits in the Christian faith. It's the habit of confession. You see, it's so important that we understand this gift of confession, the spiritual discipline of confession, because it has a direct result or direct implication on our spiritual life, right? If we go through season and we neglect times of confession, what that's going to do is it's going to continue to allow us to feel further and further away from God and even further and further away from other people, because sin always brings distance, Confession is so vital to the Christian life because it trains us to go against our human nature, right? Our human nature says that we're to hide sin, right? Our human nature says that we're supposed to live our lives trying to work up this facade so that we can present ourselves the way we think everyone in the world wants to see us. So we live Instagram lives, we live filtered lives, and yet at the very, very heart of all of that is the denial of who we really are. And so what confession does, it allows us to be who we really are and what we've really done to bring that before God. You know, I was reminded of, of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? After they had, were in a time and a season of perfect fellowship with God and they sinned, the Bible tells us that something changed. The Bible says that immediately their eyes were open and they were able to see that they were naked and they felt shame. And so what did they do? They hid themselves from God. That's what sin does in our lives, right? Sin always produces shame and it causes us to run away from God and to hide from God instead of running to God for his grace and his forgiveness. You see, confession opens the door for forgiveness and a restored relationship to be able to take place. See, as we look at this idea of confession, we need to understand the truth of God's character. God is a loving God. God wants to be a God that is a giver to us, but God also wants to be a forgiver of us. 
God is not stingy. God is not, not wanting to withhold his grace and his mercy, but wants to give to us it freely. And confession opens the door for that forgiveness to take place. I want to give you a quick definition as we take a look at this discipline or this habit today of confession. Here's a, a definition of confession. Confession is acknowledging and addressing our sin before God, seeking his mercy and grace to heal us. In confession, we agree with God that we have stepped out of his design. And today, as we're going to look at Psalm 32, what I want us to see is that when we uncover our sin in confession, God covers our sin with forgiveness. What a beautiful promise, right? When we uncover our sin, when we pull back the veil and we pull back the sheets of all the things that we've been trying to hide from everyone else, when we bring it before God, he forgives it and then he covers all of that with his grace. And we're going to see this most clearly today in the life of David. Today, as we're looking at this, I really want us to see the power of confession in our lives and how if we make this a spiritual habit, a regular part of our lives, we will see this power bring us to a place of peace. So in Psalm 32, let me give you the quick context. Many scholars believe uh, that the context of Psalm 32 uh, comes in the life of David. So David's the author of this psalm. And many scholars believe that this is coming as a result of after Nathan, the prophet, has come to David and has told him about his sin with Bathsheba and how he murdered Uriah. And so we know from other psalms that David, David took that time when he, when he was confronted with the reality of his sin. He really wrestled with that before the Lord. And what we see is that also playing out in this psalm as well. We see both the blessing of forgiveness and we see the curse of sin playing itself out. So today I want us to see three truths in this passage that help us understand the beauty and the power of confession. First, I want us to see that confession separates us from the oppression of covered sin. Look at me in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So David begins, as he's writing here, talking about the blessedness of forgiveness, how we feel when that weight has been lifted. We feel happy, we're filled with joy, and we're filled with freedom. There's a gladness inside of us when we feel like as though everything has been forgiven. So there's this blessing that comes with forgiveness. But then we also see that there is a curse of sin. Sin is a weight. Sin haunts us. It buries us. It weighs down our soul. And it makes us begin to feel aware that we are out of sync with God and we're out of sync with each other. See, I think at the heart of sin... We believe two lies, and this is the, these are the same two lies that we see Adam and Eve were guilty of believing in the garden. I think there are two lies that we believe. The first lie that we believe is we believe that what God has given us isn't good. 
Right? When we begin to look out at our lives and we think about all the things that God has blessed us with our family, with our job, with our house, with our other friendships, and we begin to look at those and we say to ourselves, God, what you've given me isn't good. Or I wish, God, I had another job. Or God, I wish I had another spouse. Or God, I wish I had other kids. Right? When we begin to, to go down that path in our mind, we begin to walk the path of sin. So God, what you've given me is not good. Or the second lie that we believe is that, God, what you've given me isn't enough. And when we give ourselves over to those two lies, that's when we run the risk of falling into sin. And what we see from this passage, too, is that David finds himself going down the slippery slope of sin. As he walks this path, he see, we see here that um, this downward spiral of sin consisted of sin, transgressions, and iniquities. David is using these different words, though sometimes we use them as synonymous words that are not. They have different connotations to them and they have a deeper meaning. And so what David is tracking through, he's, he's talking about, it. I went from sin, I went to transgression, and I'm also guilty of iniquity. And simply, if we were to break these down, we see that sin simply is to miss the mark. Sin is to do that which is opposite of what is Right? A transgression, then, is to know the boundaries that God has set and willfully crossing them, where you intentionally choose to disobey God. And then iniquity is even worse than that because iniquity is a premeditated choice to sin. It's sinning without repentance. And in other ways, uh, iniquity is seeking to defame God himself. And so we know in David's life, he walked down this path. It began with sin. If we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see that David sinned, for in chapter 11 it says, it was the time of year when kings go off to war. David sent Joab. See, it was part of God's design at that time that during this time of year, the kings would go off to war and God would continue to be with his people and show his mighty power and his protection with them. But this year, for whatever reason, David decided not to go. Instead, he sent Joab. So in essence, he sinned. He went outside of God's design. He went outside of God's plan. And instead of just sitting around and, and asking for forgiveness for that, David continued. Now he's got all this free time on his hands. So what does he do? One evening, he goes up to the top of the palace. And as he's up there, when he should be at war, he's now got all this time in his hands. So he's up on top of the palace and he's looking out over the kingdom. And he looks down and he sees Bathsheba bathing. And in that moment, he's given himself over again to another lie. What God has given me is not good, and what God has given me is not enough. David had everything. And in that moment, he's like, if I can just have a little bit more. And so he calls to Bathsheba, and Bathsheba comes to him, and he lies with her. And later we find out that she's pregnant. And so instead of just coming to the point of, I've messed up, God, I've sinned, and, and I've messed up, and going to Uriah, Bathsheba's uh, husband, and trying to make it right, David slips down even further down the slippery slope of sin, and he devises this plan. What I'm going to do is make sure that Uriah dies, because I've I got to cover up this sin. And so they send Uriah up to the front lines of the battle, and Uriah dies. And we see this once mighty man, this man that, was, that had the heart of God, has now fallen. 
And you would think that after you come to this point of where you realize what you've done, you would confess it. You would say, I, I've messed up royally. I've, I messed up big time. But instead, we know what David chooses to do is he thinks he gets away with it. And so he continues to live on. And it's not until verse 3 that we see all of this is catching up with him. As David remains silent, the sin and the weight begins to build on him. David says that as time went on, my bones were wasting away. He could feel as though his body was just crushing under the weight of the guilt. His bones were wasting away. He's groaning inside of his spirit. He feels the hands of the Lord against him. There was conviction, there was guilt, and there was dryness in his relationship with God. Dry like the summer heat. All of this imagery describes the handiwork of guilt. David, in this part of the passage, was not experiencing the blessing, but he was experiencing the curse. And the more he tried to hit it, the more the guilt mounted. He had done wrong in the sight of God and was now living with some of those consequences. But it's not until verse 5 that we come and we see the pathway to forgiveness. Look at, look at what David did. He shows us this beautiful way, way of going back, getting back with God, even though we've messed up royally. He first of, of all acknowledges his sin. He goes to God himself and says, God, I've messed up. And then not only does he say, I messed up, he begins to uncover everything. He's like, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. He's holding nothing back from the Lord, but showing the Lord all the things the Lord already knows. But it's when we come to confessing that before the Lord, we're agreeing with God that we've messed up. So one by one, he's acknowledging his iniquity. He's confessing his transgressions. And then we see God forgiving his sin. David did the crime, and he brings his crimes to God, and God forgives and covers it up. You know, our natural tendency when we sin is to try to hide it, right? We don't, we don't want to bring it to the forefront. Instead, we want to sin and we, we want to hide it. I remember when I was a kid, uh, my parents had just saved up all of their money in our backyard. We just got a new house and, and uh, we needed to prepare the back lawn for uh, the, the sod that was coming. And so my dad went out and bought several new rakes and the, our whole family was out there working, working the ground, trying to make it level and beating up the boulders and all that other stuff. And and there was one time that we were out there, all of us were working, and then all of a sudden I find myself all alone. My parents had gone inside to take a phone call. My brothers and sisters had gone find something else to do. So there I was in this big, huge backyard with all of these beautiful rakes. And so I pick one of the rakes up, and I'm like, oh, cool. Now no one's here to tell me what to do. So I, I start raking the ground, and then I'm like... I can do better than this. So then I start seeing some bigger boulders and I take the rake and I'm like using it now as a sledgehammer. So I'm beating, beating all of these boulders and breaking them down into small pieces. And then I keep beating them harder and harder and harder. And then eventually what I did is I take the rake and I, with all of my might, I lifted it and I stuck it into the ground. I even came up off the ground, I believe. So my legs were up off the ground and I'm getting it in the ground and it stuck. I mean, it's stuck in the ground. And so I start pulling on the handle. I'm pulling on the handle, and it's not coming out. And I'm starting to worry. I'm like, I just got the rake stuck. Oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? And so my, my anxiety is kind of on the rise. I'm like, oh, i got to get this fixed. And so I pull with all of my might. 
and the stick came out and the head was still in the ground. And I'm like, oh no, what have I done? So I drop, drop the pole and I run inside the house and I go to my room and I cover my head with my pillow and my covers. And I'm like, oh my goodness, my mom is going to kill me. They tell me all the time, Jeff, you shouldn't be playing with things you don't know how to work and, and you're always doing these things. You're breaking everything. And so I was so upset. I was so mad at myself and I knew that I was worthy of punishment. So I went to my bed and covered up my head. And I can only imagine like the look on my father and mother's face as they come back out from the phone call and they look down at the ground and they're like, What's going on with the rake? How did this happen? Which is a common occurrence in my household growing up. But so the, my parents begin the investigative work of what's going on with the rake. How did this happen? So one by one, they're interrogating my brothers and sisters. And I can just hear the commotion upstairs. I'm still in my bed, you know, worried about my sin, knowing that I messed up, knowing that I, I violated their, their rules. And I knew I was guilty of punishment. So finally, I hear my dad's voice from the kitchen say, Jeff! Jeff, where are you? I was silent. I'm like, I'm not saying it. Maybe, like, if I don't speak and if I'm not heard, maybe this will all go away. And I'm in my bed praying, oh, God, please just allow my parents just to, like, disappear or something. Allow this to go away. And then my dad comes down to my door, and he's like, hey, Jeff, I need to talk to you. And I wasn't saying a word. So finally, I hear my dad come into my room, and he sits on my bed. And he's like, Jeff, what did you do? I wasn't going to say anything because I knew I'd messed up and I knew that I was worthy and deserved all kinds of punishment. And my dad, who was hard at times, my dad disciplined me. And in my mind, as I'm laying there with the covers over my head, I just imagine that he's got his belt in this hand getting ready just to beat me because of what I'd done. So finally, I took the covers off my head and I said, Dad, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It was a mistake. I was playing with it. I shouldn't have played with it. I shouldn't have done that. I know I messed up. And so whatever punishment, I know I'll I'll take it. And uncharacteristically of my dad, he looked at me and instead of anger in his eyes, he grabbed me close. And he says, Jeff, we can get another rake. We can't get another one of you. And I'll tell you, in that moment, I ran for my father when, in essence, I should have run to my father, right? I should have went to him as soon as I messed up. I should have gone to him because then I could have received and experienced his grace early instead of having to deal with all of that pain. And yet, if, my, if I can experiencing that earthly forgiveness from my earthly father, imagine how the God of the universe wants to forgive us. And yet, many times, we don't give him the opportunity, Many times we run away from him. We know that God is holy and just. We know all that. But we also need to see that in God's character is forgiveness and love and mercy. And he's waiting, waiting to give us his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. Yes, God is holy. God is just. And sin must be punished. But God also has the desire to forgive. You may say to yourself, well, how is it possible How is that possible for God to be holy and just and forgiving at the same time? I'll tell you how. It's through Jesus. Jesus is the one that makes it possible for us to receive forgiveness. Just a few minutes ago, we shared in the Lord's Supper. And in that, we are reminded of the sacrifice. We're reminded that Jesus came and gave himself for us. He died in our place to take our punishment that we deserved for our sin. Right? We took those two elements. We took the broken body, which, which symbolizes the punishment. 
Jesus took the punishment that was due us because God is holy and just sin must be punished. And so Jesus was punished in our place. But then we also celebrated his spilled blood. Right? It's through the spilling of his blood, the shedding of his blood, that we can receive forgiveness. So it's as though our sins are washed away. And the only way that we're able to receive this forgiveness from God is to coming to Jesus and repenting of our sins, confessing of our sins, and then believing in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. And that's when we receive the forgiveness. Let me share with you a a quick illustration of that. So right here I have this clear container. And just for a moment you're just going to have to imagine with me. Hopefully you've got a good imagination this morning. Now imagine this uh, container is full of white paint. That represents our life. That represents the gift of life that God has given us. And then as we continue to go through life, we sin. We miss up. We miss the mark. We go outside of God's design. And imagine with every one of our sins inside of our, our, our container of white paint, we started to drop black paint, which represents every single one of our sin. What's going to eventually happen to this white paint? It's going to become gray, right? And so this uh, gray paint, because God is, is righteous and holy, now imagine those two trying to co-mingle together or to share in a relationship together. We can't because God is holy and we are sinful, so therefore we're separated from God. And so all we have to offer God is a pail of gray paint, But what the gift of Jesus has done is that we come to God with our pail of gray paint or black paint, whatever it is, and we say, Jesus, forgive me. And then when we place our faith in Jesus, what happens is he dumps this out and then he gives us a fresh start. He fills it again with white paint. This is the beauty of forgiveness. So it's as though everything that we've done in the past is done away with. It's been paid for and it's no longer held to our account We are able to receive forgiveness through and freedom through confession. Confession is beautiful because it's humbling. It humbles us and it forces us to acknowledge that we are not good. It forces us to acknowledge the fact that we are not all as put together as we thought we would be. And it's freeing for us to allow God to cover our sins through the work of Jesus. So forgiveness is a beautiful gift Second, I want us to see that, that confession secures us in the protection of God. Look with me in verses 6 and 7. He says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. See, David here now is appealing to us to pray and confess our sins to the Lord and to do so now, not to put it off, not to wait. Because there is coming a time when it will be too late to confess our sins. As soon as we become aware of our sins, we should confess it right there. For he says, this is what the godly do. The godly, those that are seeking to honor God and and to walk in God's ways, once conviction of sin comes and once the acknowledgement of, of the mistake has happened, we come to God and we deal with it before him. In verse six, David's hearkening back to the scenario of the flood. 
right? The, the flood that was a universal judgment for all humanity for their persistent and willful disobedience and the rejection of God. God had with, been withholding his wrath for a season, but now in the flood, when the water started, God's wrath was coming. And as soon as the water started coming, it was too late. It was too late for the repentance to take place. And in much the same way, we know that Jesus is returning again. And when he returns, he is judging all of us. We're all going to have to stand before God and give an account for our lives. And while we have breath now is the time for confession. Right now is the time for repentance. Not waiting for the future. See, it's important that we continue to maintain short accounts between us and the Lord because sin always causes distance in the relationship. Let me go back to to this example. Now, I remember I said that once we come to faith in Christ, our our new container is filled with new white paint. The problem is is that you and I continue to sin. And if we keep it this way, then what's going to happen is this is going to continue to be gray, and then we're going to have to go and get it dumped out again, get filled back up again and dumped out again and filled back up again and dumped out again. And that's, that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that once we come to faith in Christ, once we really believe, then our lives are sealed. Right? That we have a new nature, that in God we, we are right and we are clean, and there's nothing that can take us away from the love and forgiveness of God. But we still sin. And so what happens is that our black paint begins to go onto the top of the lid. It doesn't change who we are, but it creates distance between us and God because there's still a layer of sin. In much the same way, when I look at my kids and my kids' sin, right, they don't stop being my children, but their sin causes distance between us. Right? And it's not until they come and they seek forgiveness that they've done wrong. It's not until they come and ask for forgiveness or confess their sin that that relationship can be restored. In the same way, that's how it is in our relationship with God. That when we sin and this, this layer of sin that's on top of our lives, it hinders us in our relationship with God. That's why I love 1 John 1, 9 so much. Because it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us all unrighteousness. This is the beauty of confession for the believer. Right? We have the promise of if there's sin on top of our lid, that we come and confess it, and then Jesus forgives us of it and cleanses us. So it's as though he takes all that sin and wipes it off. And so we're renewed in our relationship with the Lord. Not that we've lost our salvation, but that we, that closeness in that relationship. Confession brings us back into the sanctuary of God, into the fold of God, so that we can experience his love and his protection and his grace. What I love is that David here gives us the language of confession that comes through prayer. Prayer is the greatest way that we can enter into a time of confession with the Lord. I remember when I was younger and I was sitting in Sunday school and they were teaching us how to pray. They gave us this acronym. It was the acronym of ACTS, right? So prayer consists of adoration, which is A, C, confession, T is thanksgiving, and S is supplication. And so as we pray, confession is a part of it where we acknowledge to God the ways in which we've gone outside of his design, the way that we've stepped outside of his boundaries that he's placed in our lives, So we, through prayer, we spend time adoring God for who he is. We call out his his magnificent attributes and his magnificent character. Then we enter into a time in our prayer where we confess our sin, 
where we talk about the ways in which we've gone awry or gone away. Then we thanks, go through Thanksgiving. We thank God for who he is and for what he's done and how he's forgiven us. And then with S, we provide supplications. That's where we pray for others. God gives us this, beauty of, this beautiful thing called prayer in order to communicate with him, but it also gives us the avenue through which confession can be made and forgiveness is given. And what I love is that we don't have to go to a priest for confession. We don't have to go to someone else, though we, we can, but the greatest place that we are supposed to go is to God himself because we have the full power and presence of God living inside of us. He welcomes us into his presence so that we can communicate to him with our confession. And third, confession surrounds us in the steadfast love of God. Look at verse eight. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit or, and a bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You see, David has experienced the grace, gracious forgiveness of God, even in the heinousness of his sin. And now he's commending others, he's commending you and I to walk the same path of confession that he has and to receive forgiveness. He wants to, uh, us to know that we are to be instructed in, and to teach ourselves in this. And as we are taught and as we walk in this way, we are not to live like the horse of the mule, right? The horse of the mule, in order to be led, they have to have a bit and a bridle that helps direct them where they need to go and where they don't want to go. He says, don't be like that. Instead, you know the way. Come directly to God and seek his face and seek forgiveness. We know in verse 10 that the sorrow of the wicked are many, that there is a way in which even though as believers we live in the way of the wicked, where we experience the no relief, no joy, no gladness, and we feel the distance from God, but that immediately when we confess, we experience the steadfast love of God, the love of God that doesn't change, a covenantal love of God that says, even though you break the covenant and you break the rules over and over and over again, God is always willing to take us back. I had to think if David was able to experience this steadfast love even in the depths of his sin, even in the downward spiral that he gave himself over to, then we too can experience the grace of God. If David could be forgiven, you can be forgiven. If David could be forgiven, I can be forgiven, even in the midst of all that we've done. When I was in fifth grade, it was about winter time, it was about March time in, in fifth grade, my, my mom took me to the store, we went to Sears, and while we're going to Sears, my mom says, it's time for you to pick out a new pair of pants. And so we're going through all of the, the racks, and we're looking at all these pants, and I find the perfect pair of pants. It was a pair, it was a, uh, a baby blue or powder blue pair of corduroys. That was cool back then. It's not cool anymore, but it was cool back then. I remember, like, thank you, Mom. I, these are the jeans. These are the pants that I've always wanted. These, I will be cool when I go to school on Monday with my baby blue corduroy pants. I thought for sure I had made it. 
And so my mom purchased the pants for me, and I wore them to school that uh, Monday morning I'm with pride, and I walk into school, I'm like, yeah, baby blue pants. Read them and weep. Everyone's going to want them. And I remember that day, you know, in, in March, uh, a lot of times it can be sometimes snowy, sometimes a little bit wet, and, and uh, we went out to recess. And I was on the playground, and I forgot that I was wearing my beautiful baby blue pants. And I started running, and I ran through a puddle, and I splashed it up on my pants. And I looked down, and I'm like, oh, man, I got mud on my pants. I messed up my pants. And you know a normal person, you know what they would do? They would, like, stop and try to clean it. Not me. I was like, I messed up my pants. Let's see what else we can do. And so there for the rest of the recess, I'm trying to find every puddle I can possibly find on the playground. I'm trying to find all the mud. I'm rolling around in the mud. And by the time recess was over, my blue, beautiful pants were now dirty brown. I go to get in line to to go inside from recess. My teacher looks at me and she's like, what did you do? She's like, just go to the office. Like, just get out of here. And I'm like, okay. So I go to the office and then I had to call my mom. And she's like, Jeff, what's going on? I'm like, Mom, can you bring me some new pants? She's like, what happened? I just bought you some brand new pants, and I saw them on you today. What happened? I'm like, Mom, I soiled my pants. Like, I just trashed my pants. Like, I totally, totally trashed them. And then she had to come to school and bring me a new pair of pants. And I remember just looking at her disappointment. And I remember looking in her eyes. I know that she had worked hard so that I could have something nice. And I trashed it. You know, each one of us have been given the gift of life from our creator. And if we're really, really, really honest with ourselves, the gift that we've been given is much like those blue pants that I had. And we treat our lives like those blue pants. We know the good we ought to do. We know the grace that God has given us, and we abuse that grace. Maybe you're here today, and like, you know that your life is as dirty as those pants. And you felt the guilt, you felt the shame, and you've tried your whole life to try and fix it. Like, like you've tried to be better, you've tried to do better, you've tried to go to church, or you've tried to do this, and guess what? It's not erasing the stain of your sin that's on your soul. I want you to understand that nothing in this world will ever be able to do that apart from Jesus. That all Jesus wants us to do is to bring our soiled, stained lives to him and say, this is all I can bring to you, Jesus. And guess what he's gonna do? He's gonna take your soiled life, he's gonna take your dirty, stained, sinful life, and he's gonna say, guess what? I paid for it. It's already been forgiven. Here you go. New set of pants, new set of life. Receive the forgiveness that I give you. If that's you here today, if you've never come to the place of trusting in Jesus, you can do that today. You can come to him with all of your mistakes, all your failures, and receive his forgiveness by repenting and believing in him. But that's not all this is about. This is also for the believer, for us today that are still walking, seeking to be godly. How do we establish this habit of confession? 
It's got to be something that we're intentional about. You're not going to naturally just go through life and, and be like, okay, I, I just learned how to confess. We've got to do some things about it. So I'm going to give you a couple of tools for confession. I want to share with you a little bit about how you know, God has helped me take on this habit in my own life. There are those organic times, right? There are those organic times in life where you're going through life and you mess up and you do something and you feel or you hear the convicting word of the Lord. Like, I want you to understand that when you hear that or you feel that in your spirit, drop to your knees and immediately confess it to the Lord. Because otherwise, it's gonna sit there and it's gonna fester and then the conviction's gonna come harder, the guilt's gonna increase and maybe the shame it will even increase and then you'll have more business to do with the Lord. So in those organic ways, make sure that when the Spirit comes to you, that you confess it right away. But that's not always, always the way that the Lord works with me. Sometimes God works with me in different ways. And so I have a, a plan in my life where every single uh, day, most days, I get up and, and just read through the Word of God. I also t- take with me when I read through the Word of God my little book right here. It's just the little book's changed over the years. But each day when I read through the word of God, I'm asking myself three questions as I read God's word. Because really what, I want God to speak to me and what he wants to say to me. So I'll read a passage of scripture. And then what I do in my time is is I write out and I answer three questions. The first question I answer is, what does this passage tell me about God? Like, what is this passage telling me about how I can be thankful towards God or to God? And so I, I read through the passage and then I write that out. Then I spend time and I look at that specific passage and I say, well, what is this passage saying about my life? Like, where am I not measuring up to what God's desire is or what God's design is? And so then I spend time confessing. God, I confess that today I'm angry or God, I'm walking through this season of doubt. I doubt you. Or God, I'm walking through this season of where I just am frustrated with everything in the world. And so I confess that. And then the third thing that I do is I always spend time asking God to help me um, do, to, to accomplish that which he wants me to do. So God, help me even today to not be angry, but instead of being a- angry, help me to find joy. So what does it tell me about God? What does it tell me about myself? And what do I need God's help to do? Those are the three things that I, I do in my own daily walk. But then there's a, the time at night, it's the organized time at night, is I always pray this prayer, which is Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me Lead me in the way everlasting. Giving God time just to allow his spirit to search us, to uncover all the things. Because, you know, we spend our whole day trying to build up this facade. We need time to allow God to come in and just show us everything. So search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. And lead me in the way everlasting. And as those things come to mind, confess it. Continue to keep short accounts between us and the Lord, and that allows us to grow in godliness and allows us to grow in appreciation to him because then we're able to see and experience his forgiveness. So today, as we end our time together and move into our time of of closing and response, this is what I encourage you to do. If you don't know Jesus, I seriously want you to take this time and ask yourself inside of your heart, what's standing in the way of you believing in Jesus? But for the rest of us, those that do already have a relationship with the Lord, I want to encourage you to use this time to pray that prayer. Lord, test me, search me, know me, reveal to me areas of my life that I need to confess. And then use our time while we sing to confess that to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, 
we thank you so much that you have given us your word as a guidepost. You've given us your word so that we can know the way in which you want us to live and the way you want us to go. Father, I'm thankful for David, even for his struggles and his trials. I'm thankful, Father, that by his example, we see that we can be forgiven. And Father, even today, I'm thankful for Jesus because it's through Jesus that he stepped in my place and in our place and took on the punishment that was due me. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Father, we thank you that you are a loving God that wants to forgive, but forgiveness comes through confession. So Father, in this moment, in these moments, would you allow your spirit to work? Bring about conviction. Show us where we are missing the mark. Allow us to confess it so that we can also have forgiveness. Do the mighty work now, Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.